Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzovino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Well, actually, Jesus already told us that, didn't he? Didn't he? Doesn't the New Testament tell us that? Doesn't Peter tell us to be holy because he's holy? But sometimes, you know, because of someone's personal testimony, it helps us to realize that these things are true. So I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to have you open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Because I would like to talk this evening about the reality of the new creation. Some of these things may sound repetitious to you. If they do, God will forgive you. <laughs> if you'll ask Him. I, I can't tell you what feast I'm having in what a feast I'm having inside me. Because the revelation knowledge that we have been receiving is hitting home. And becoming more real to my spirit every day. And that's spiritual growth. That's what spiritual growth is all about. Enjoying the reality of our relationship with God, our redemption, the new creation. In other words, making it a vital reality in our lives. Something that I've been saying, if I may just start from anywhere, if you don't mind about, at least this is my own observation. I have observed over the years that I've been born again the ministry in the local church. And I'm a thinking person. I'd sit back and I'd say, now, did God save us so that we can come together? And when I was at school, especially at Ramah, and have... Fourteen people give messages in tongues. And of course, they were always on the other side of the auditorium. So that I couldn't hear. And then somebody would blurt out the interpretation. And someone said, what did they say? I don't know. Is that why God saved us? Did God save us, I used to think, so that we could come to church three times a week? And have some preacher tell us how bad we were yesterday or last week. So that we can make a mad dash for the front of the church to the altar and get down on our knees and ask God if he could find room in his heart to forgive us. And I used to ponder over these things. If this is all there is to being born again, I don't see any merit in that. Either this new creation business is real or it's not. If it is, and language means anything, you got your shot and clothes ready? I mean, you got them all set? Because if, if this is true, and we are new creation people, look out world. Look out world. Are you ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore... If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. The word creature is taken from the Greek word, I won't even dare pronounce it, K-T-I-S-I-S. K-T-I-S-I-S which is from the root word, K-T-I-Z-O, which means to fabricate, to fabricate, to found, or to form originally. To fabricate, to found, or to form originally. And in this particular context, it's saying, if any man is in Christ, he is a new formation, a new creation, a new ordinance, a new creature, or a new species that never before existed. That never 
before existed. And I thought and I said, if that's true, now either this is the work of a genius, these writings of the Apostle Paul, or they are a divine revelation from the very heart of God to man, something that was never known until the Apostle Paul came along. I mean, it was not known by Peter. It was not known by John. It was not known by Mary when they stood there and they saw Jesus, the Immaculate Son of God, hang on Calvary's cross. This was not understood. They didn't have any insight into this new creation business. They didn't know anything about it. But they, they witnessed his death. But along comes this Apostle Paul, called of God, anointed of God, then separated by God for 14 years in a desert where Jesus personally taught him what happened the day he hung on that cross and died on that cross. What happened those three nights he entered into the heart of the earth? What happened down there in the earth? What happened when he ascended up on high as the Lord High Priest? And what happened when he entered into the holiest of holies and offered up his blood as a sacrifice to redeem mankind? You see, they didn't know that he was the sin substitute. They did not know what took place in the heart of the earth. They did not know what took place in the heaven holies of holies. They didn't know that. That was a revelation given to the Apostle Paul, which he shares with us in what we call the Pauline Revelation or the Pauline Epistles. Now, in this epistle written under the church at Corinth, he said that if any man is in Christ, he is a new species on earth that never before existed. And that challenges, or it should at least, challenge our heart. Once you talk about this new formation, this new creation, God is a creator, but seemingly there's something about this new creature, this new creation, that's far different than anything else that he has previously created. Well, the new creation actually represents the third phase, the third phase of God's overall plan for mankind. Like I said, I'm a thinking person. There has to be a reason for everything. I don't believe in theory. I believe in fact. I believe in truth. And Jesus says, I came to give you the truth, and the truth will set you free. I've been set free because of the truth. So, to reiterate a few points very quickly, and then continue with our teaching, the reality of the new creation. Phase number one is the Father's dream. It can only be understood in the first two chapters of Genesis. It can only be understood... As we study the act of creation, but the father's dream is that of having a family. When you talk about family, you're talking about offspring, those of your own kind. Those of your own kind. Well, number two, I'll give them to you again before we get into them. Though, number two was redemption from the sin catastrophe. Number three, which is the phase in which we live, which I'm sad to say there's not too many that know too much about it. Number three is the Father's dream coming true. You are the Father's dream come true. Your natural minds almost wander. What's he talking about? I'm the Father's dream come true. You are the Father's dream come true. Amen. Say it. I am the Father's dream come true. I am the Father's dream come true. Hallelujah. You can't say that without having it affect your spirit. And then, of course, we said the heavenly home, the family home. That'll be the fourth phase. Creation, we don't live in that dispensation. We don't live in the dispensation of being of the plan of redemption. Did you know that? For we have been redeemed. It's no longer a one day I will redeem you. But that era is over. 
That is a fact. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, It is finished, he talked about that dispensation and the Abrahamic covenant and the fact that redemption is the Abrahamic covenant is finished, and then redemption was about to be complete. It was not finished on the cross, but it was finished when he entered the holies of holies and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high to clarify. He said he finished the covenant, he finished the law, and now he brought into existence a new order. And that is a new creation people. That's the phase in which we live. We will never understand the new creation, nor will we appreciate it, unless we understand redemption. Unless we have an understanding of the reality of our redemption, we'll never appreciate the new creation. And we'll never understand the new creation or even the reality of our redemption unless we understand the first two phases. The first two phases. So I will very quickly reiterate these two phases. Number one, we see God giving perfect human life to a being called Adam. This Adam possessed perfect human life. I don't know about you, but when I look at creation and I see that the earth receives the undivided attention of the heavenlies, and I see that the earth is a small, one of the smallest planets, compared to the sun you can fit a thousand in it, when I see that the earth really, from a human standpoint, from a natural standpoint, from human reasoning, it doesn't seem like that little planet should mean too much to the universe. But yet, we know that every other created body in the universe, in the heavenlies, ministers under this little earth. That tells me that the earth is very important in the program of God. It's vitally important. It receives the undivided attention of the universe. Then when I consider that these bodies of ours were made out of a shovel full of dust of the earth... And the body, after it was made out of the dust of the earth, didn't even move. Didn't even move. Just stood there. Until this creator, the father of the universe, breathed into that body what is called human life. Human life. Not God life. Human life. Well, this order of life Actually, this type of life is the highest order of life that he created. So much like him that he could actually say that this man is created in my image and likeness. But the life that was put inside that body intrigues me. I said, here's a shovel full of dust. But all of a sudden, God breathes into that thing and it starts to move. How valuable is the life that's inside the body that was made out of the dust of the earth that you could fit a thousand of them into the moon? How important is that life? How important is it? And then I said to myself, we can only understand the value of the life that was put inside that body by the price that was paid for its redemption. We can only measure its value by the price that was paid. I said, you mean to tell me there are billions of people walking on the face of the earth? And some of you might say, I don't have much use for that. I've heard people talk like that. Who cares about that fellow over there? Who cares about this one over there? I mean, billions of people walking on the face of the earth, made out of a little shovel full of dust, but there's something inside that body that is so valuable, that is so precious, that God was willing, deity, to suffer death, which I'll get into, to suffer death himself to purchase that one life. And your mind marvels. This great creator, God but you see, you've got to understand the dream. The dream for the Father God is to, out of His own being, reproduce Himself after His own kind. I mean, what is birth but the reproduction of one's own life? Am I correct? Is that correct? That's what life is. 
Trees produce trees. Animals produce animals. Humans produce humans. And God produces his own life through a birth process. But this was not true in Adam. Adam was not born of God. He was created by God and possessed what we call natural human life, perfect human life. And we see then that this life can only be measured by the sacrifice that was paid to redeem that life. And I say, dear Lord, how important is a human being to you? How important is one life to you? My mind finds it hard to realize, but my heart says yes. Well, now let me share with you the scriptures that prove what I'm saying is true. First Corinthians chapter 15, back up a few pages there. No, this new creation is not like Adam. This new creation is a new species that never before existed on the face of the earth. But we find that hard to imagine. But I want to challenge your heart to study the scriptures, search them out and see the truth and find the reality of the truth that this new creation, you as a new creation, you are a new species that never before existed. But like I said, the church knows so little about it. This life that's in us is not perfect human life, which we'll get into. Look at the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Jesus came to the earth not with perfect human life. But Jesus came to the earth and assumed a perfect human body that contained the very life of God himself. He was a new species. He is an incarnation. So you see, Adam possessed perfect human life, but Jesus, the second Adam, possessed the life of God. In him was life. That is the word zoe, which means, in interpretation, by definition, life as God has it. I think we need to point that out so that we can see that. Adam did not have life as God had it. Adam had perfect human life, but the second Adam had life as God has it. Now, the next phase is the actual redemption of mankind. Now, the redemption is going to involve God or deity actually coming to the earth in human form and assuming the liabilities of man's transgression and then becoming man's substitute and actually suffering the consequences of man's high treason. This is the program of redemption. If this is not understood by the, by the believer, you will not appreciate the new creation, nor will you begin to understand who you really are. I say, I'll say it again. Deity must come to the earth in human form, assume the liabilities of man's transgression, and then take upon himself the consequences of that transgression, and pay the penalty of it, and then free the human race of that initial sin. This is going to involve an incarnation. God must become a man. I don't know where your mind is at, but I'll tell you what. Whenever I hear this, God becoming a man, my mind starts to go a thousand miles an hour. I mean, I just sit back and I just look at that and I say, God, way out there. When you think of God, he's way, way beyond. The earth is a little peanut compared to God. We shovel full of dust. God, the creator, assumes the body of the created. I don't know if I can use any kind of 
words that can describe it. But the natural human mind just wants to reject it. That's why we've got all our atheists today. That's why there are those that refute the incarnation. They say, this cannot be. But nonetheless, we have a revelation given to us by God that tells us He, in the second person of the Godhead, came to this earth and assumed the body of a man. He came in the body of a man, God. He is an incarnation. Of, of course He has His own life. He is the Son of God. He has the life of God. He has life as God has it. He is an incarnation. It will involve that that incarnate one go to the cross. And on that cross become identified with man in his identification with the devil. Spiritual death. He must identify himself with that nature. Otherwise, it is not a substitution. He cannot take the place of another unless he actually takes his nature. And then on that cross, because of death, his spirit must leave the body. And then the spirit must be taken into the prison house of suffering. Where in the spirit, he, that is deity, God himself, deity, God, he must go into the prison house of suffering in the lowest pit and there he must pay the consequences of man's initial sin and there under the awful wrath and judgment of God he would remain until the supreme court of the universe would declare man legally justified. If he would do this then God could legally birth His Son, who for but a time partook of the nature of His adversary, the nature of sin. He hath made Him to be sin for us. It's, it's horrifying to even think along these lines, but nonetheless it's so. And after He acquits man... He can give birth to him once again. Now this birth, now hear me, is not as easy as creating man and just breathing into him the breath of life. This is actually God himself assuming the liabilities of man's transgression and then entering into travail as when a woman gives birth to a child and in that awful pain and travail, actually give birth once again. Now, this birth, you see, is the process, which we know of birth, of God reproducing himself in the life of his son, who is identified now with man. Now, are you hearing this? There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus left the Godhead to become identified with man, it was for eternity. Now, just right there, you stop just for a minute. He left to identify himself with man for eternity. Not for a few years, but eternity. That means, my brother and my sister, that if this plan works, God has not come down to man's level, but God came down in the form of a man to lift man up to his level. You see, a birth process reproduces self. That's why you're called an equal heir. The new creation does not possess perfect human life. But the new creation actually has become a partaker of the divine life and nature of God. Didn't Jesus say, I came that ye might have life? The word life is zoe, which is life as God has it. You look it up in your concordance. The word zoe is, I came to give you life. There are different words translated for life in the Bible. Natural human life, behavior, 
manner of life, lifestyle. You can find those words. But this word that Jesus used to come, to, that He came to give us life, is the word zoe, which is life as God has it. I came to give you life as God has it. Zoe. And in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, Whereby are given unto us these exceeding precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. We might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, either man is only going to be acquitted... You, you, you think about a person who goes to jail and pays the consequence of his crime. When he walks out of the jail, he's still the same man. He's not changed. He's not changed. Same person. Spent his time, paid the price, but now he's free. Society, you know, he's free to live in society as a free man. But the man's not changed. No, we didn't just get pardoned. We didn't just do our time in Christ. And now we're just free just to be the same type of person we were before all this took place. My brother and sister, something has happened in the new creation, in the new birth, that I believe the church world has neglected to see, and that is the fact that this new creation, the third phase of God's program, is when God actually, through birth pains, travail, and sorrow of birth, actually birth, gave birth to a man. Jesus being the firstborn from the dead. Not a process of just creation, but a recreating of the human spirit. Now listen to it. Recreating it, reforming it, rebuilding it. How? Through the birth process. Born out of the bosom of God. Now I'm going to give you scripture to show you that. Go to John chapter 16. I'll tell you what, when these things were just given to me by the Holy Spirit, when I saw these things, I never put them together as I see them now. I've talked about it, but not in the depth that I see it now. You know what the Bible says, why we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen? I want you to begin to look at some unseen things that were revealed to us by Jesus through Paul that I believe has caused the church to stay at that one state of spiritual growth, just being born again. And then interpreting the fact that they're born again, like I said at the beginning of this, going to church, going to an altar, hoping or praying that God would do something for them for a year or two, then finally getting disgusted all I do is go to church and I pray and I'm disgusted and I'm a failure and I don't see God do anything in my life and etc. 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 So you go to that church and they have a little uh, party over here and something's going on over there and and then uh, you know they have a special meeting and maybe someone got a miracle and praise God but then that wears off and then you go to the next church and then that wears off and finally and finally you, see, you find yourself here I am well dear Lord, I've, I've tried everything under the sun and is this all there is to God in my life? Finally, when the manifestations begin to wear old, is what I'm saying. What do we find ourselves? What do we find ourselves? This is all that God did through Jesus. He did all this work that I'm about to share with you, just so that we can come to a church and just do these things. Prophesy to one another or do something like that. No, I'm not despising prophesying. I'm just saying that there's been such a poor interpretation of God's life inside of the life of a man that it has actually turned people off. Now, I don't believe that we're in the business of turning people off, but turning people on for Jesus. How about you? I want to turn somebody on for Jesus. I want them to see that we are not misrepresenting Pentecost. I want people to walk into a Pentecostal church and realize that we are people that are born of the Spirit, born of God, speak with other tongues, and we've got common sense, and we've got integrity in our lifestyle. And we can show forth the God that really reigns through us and through our lives. That's what I want to show. And show them how they can have the same thing. Now, in this scripture, John 16. Look at verse 16. Jesus is about to depart. Never forget this. Now, that's strange right there. I mean, they kind of said, what's going on here? 
Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith to us? A little while you shall not see me. Again a little while and ye shall see me because I go to the Father. They said therefore, What is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. What's he talking about? Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and he said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said a little while and you shall not see me again and again a little while you shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament but the world will shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Now, I want you to check out this next verse. A woman, because he is telling them where he's going, right here in this next verse. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. Underline that phrase. Her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to do the same thing. The hour is come, when the hour is come that a woman is going to give birth to her child... There may be travail, there may be pain, and even sorrow because of the pain and the travail. But once the birth process takes place and the child is actually born, I mean the moment that that child is born, the joy supersedes any of the pain and suffering and the sorrow. It's overwhelming. It's far greater than the suffering the woman went through. So look at John 17, verse 1. I want you to see something here. This statement has never been made before. Jesus is actually saying, I am going to do what it takes from the foundation of the world. I'm going to do what it takes so that the Father can give birth to His children. Adam wasn't it. Of course, during the fall it wasn't it. But we're living in a blessed generation, a blessed time where this has become a reality. Here, look at verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. What did we underline back there? When, a, when the hour is come that a woman has to give birth to her child, she enters into what? Well, the hour is come, he said. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. But note this, the hour is come. Now, go back to Matthew 26. I'll give you some more references to the same truth. This is after the supper and right before he's going to Gethsemane and, and to Calvary. Matthew 26. Then, verse 45. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. Again, reference to the hour. Where are you going, Lord? A woman, when, she, when her hour is come. He tells his disciples, Mine hour is come. He tells them here again, The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Look at it again in Mark chapter 14. Verse 32. Verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John. And began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? 
Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit is truly ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest, it is enough. The hour is come. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. What's he talking about? This hour is come. He explained it in John 16. When a woman, when her hour is come to be delivered of the child, she hath travail and sorrow. Now, we could understand that from a natural standpoint. But I want you to see that in this third full phase of God's overall program for man, this is something that the church has neglected has never seen, and, and for the most part, don't, they don't even want to recognize this important part. And that's why they don't understand the new creation. Deity actually had to go to the travail of birth pains in hell before the new creation could come into being. Likened unto a woman giving birth to a child, so God, out of His bosom, through death... And its sufferings is giving birth unto his offspring. Now, find Isaiah chapter 53 while I'm saying this. This is the hour that deity suffers in travail for humanity and allows, are you ready? The great Father God to give birth to his dream. Not to acquit man of his sin. Not just to say that I pardon you, you're forgiven. But you're the same old wretch. Not so that you could be a sinner saved by grace and still see yourself a sinner. But an actual birth born out of the womb of God. Now, again, Jesus People only see the physical suffering of our Lord and they say that on Calvary is what redeemed us. I want to ask you some questions. Is sin spiritual or is sin physical? If physical death is the penalty, penalty for sin, if physical death is the penalty for sin, Now that Jesus is alive, why must the Christian die? If physical death is the penalty for sin. As some think. Well, if Jesus could die physically and redeem us from sin, then sin is but a physical thing. This is an untruth. Every person then could die physically for themselves and save themselves if if physical death is the penalty for sin. Now again, think. What substitution to take one's place? Well, if physical death is the penalty for sin, and that's all it is, well then, Jesus' death, physical death, should mean that no one else should have to die if they accept Him physically. But you see, they've missed this fact. The penalty for sin cannot be physical death. It has to be something more than that. You know why? I cannot see my Lord and Savior being a sissy. Can you? I know more spunk, if you want to say it, determination, integrity, faith, honor, in men who gave their physical lives for a lesser cause who didn't cry about it. Men died in the Civil War without one thought of their lives for the, for the freedom we have in this country. They didn't go off somewhere and cry about it before they went out to war. We just heard of men getting killed. Did we not? Who went there knowing that their presence there might mean their death there. But they didn't squall and ball about it. Did they? 
men actually have gone to the stake for the Lord Jesus' name. But they went there willingly. Knowing that they were going to be... Peter suffered almost the way Jesus suffered, being put to death on a cross, hung upside down. But yet, did, Jesus, did Peter do the same thing that Jesus did? Stephen was stoned before all the men, but he didn't complain about it. He stood right there and said, I'm not going to deny Jesus Christ for nobody. Hallelujah. I see heaven open and the glory of God at the right hand of the Father. Go ahead and kill me. You can't do anything to me. But yet I see a picture of Jesus saying, Father, take this hour from me. What's with him? No, he's not just dying physically. Beloved, this wouldn't make any sense. This would make him... Of less, he would have less honor in his own person than somebody else who gave their life for their, who died a martyr's death for, for the cause of something that doesn't even mean anything. People have given their lives for lesser things. No, he knew what was going to happen. He says, mine hour has come. I can't, I can't even get this in my thinking yet. I'm, I got it in my heart. I'm trying to get it up to my thinking faculties. But how can we be so valuable to God that this God, in this deity would assume the body of a man, come to the earth, become sin on Calvary, and then go into the lowest pit of hell, and in that place suffer spiritual death and pay the awful judgment of mankind until God raised him out. I can't, I can't see it. Why would he do that? How important are we to him if he would do that? But yet, Psalm 22 is a the, the perfect picture, the graphic picture of the physical sufferings of our Lord. Isaiah was not writing from a natural standpoint. I want you to read this. Look at this with me. Isaiah chapter 53. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is the key to physical healing, what I'm teaching you this evening. If you will get this, it'll put you in the right direction to be free from diseases of the body. We, yet we did esteem him stricken, uh, smitten of who? Paul, did, I mean, I'm sorry, John didn't see this. James didn't see this. Peter didn't see this. Mary didn't see this. They saw him stricken of the Roman lictor. They saw the stripes on his back, physical stripes. They saw the thorns upon his head. They saw his pierced side. They saw his pierced hands and feet. They saw the spit on his face. They saw the humiliation as he was hung stark naked on a cross. They saw that low... That, I mean, you talk about humiliation. Hung there that way before the world to see. They saw all of that and they were amazed by it. But here is something that the church has not seen that the Father did. It says he was smitten of God. When did this happen? God's wrath was kindled against mankind and judgment was due to mankind. Deity accepted in his own being the sacrifice of man's sins went on that cross and God laid on the Spirit of the Lord Jesus the sin of the world. God laid that high treason that was committed by Adam on the sin of the Lord Jesus, on the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took the, the origin of sickness and disease and striped it on His Spirit. This has not been seen by the corporate body of Christ. But there in the Spirit, we see Him actually entering into the birth pains of death before birth can come. And that's why a woman has to go through travail, but she's free in Jesus. But before this time, it was a picture of what God was going to do for, to birth His man. What a woman would do to give birth to a man, God would do to give birth to His children. Now, I want you to see the parallel there. And look at, the, look at these. Go on down. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord did it. That was not on his body. This was on his spirit. Go on down to verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked. Not with the righteous with the wicked, because he became sin. And with the rich in his death, 
Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. They didn't see the Lord bruise him. They saw the Roman lictors. He hath put him to grief. He made him sick. When thou shalt make his body, no, not his body, but his soul, an offering for sin, he shall see his what? His what? His children. See, you can't produce except seed after your own kind. Jesus is the first fruit. He had the seed of eternal life. And he said, except that seed be planted, die, and be planted into the ground, he cannot produce fruit, but he abideth alone. This, if you will see this, my brother and my sister, is the most horrifying event in human history. I want you to know that God cannot legally be just and, and justify himself in sending one sinner to hell if Jesus did not go to hell and suffer in hell. How can somebody be sent to the prison house of suffering and God be just in doing it if the substitute was not sent there? The substitute takes the place for the primitive transgression. These men, they're suffering for those that really, they were, they were the innocent bystanders. They were the ones that were after Adam. They did not willfully do, commit the sin of high treason. You mean to tell me that this sin of high treason holds lesser punishment than the sin Committed by those after Adam's fall? By no means. Actually, man could stand there on the great white throne judgment day and look to God right in the eye and say, How can you be just in sending me into a place called hell? And do you know how God can be just and say that? He'd look over to his son and say, He went there for you. And that will seal the lips of man forever throughout all eternity. Can you imagine what took place down there when Satan saw this happen? They said, how God must love the world that he himself would come and pay the price of mankind. Sin. Let's read on. Let's look at this. He shall see the travail of his soul. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. And he shall be satisfied, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. No, Jesus wasn't fearful. Jesus wasn't afraid to die physically. That to him would have been nothing. The suffering of the cross would have been nothing. For he knows where he's going. If he knew he was going off to be in glory with his father, just like Stephen knew it, just like Paul knew it, just like John knew it, all the disciples knew it. Go ahead, take my body. Kill me. You can't annihilate me. You can't destroy me because I'm going straight to heaven's glory. But Jesus knew that he had to go into the recesses of the damned. And in there, he had to go through the birth pains. He had to go into labor. He went into labor. Deity in labor. Giving birth to a new species that never walked the earth before. Men with God in them. Possessing the life of God in them. May I show you the scriptures? Isaiah chapter 66. It will bless your heart. Do you know why the church has never understood righteousness? Because they never understood sin. Hear me as I say this. He hath made him to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Now, when you see he became sin and had to suffer its consequence, if I could see him becoming sin for me and going to this prison house of suffering and, and, and the torments of hell for me, then I can see me being righteous. If you can't see him becoming sin for you, you will never acquire a righteousness consciousness. But if you see he became sin for you, you'll sit back in awe and amazement and say, how God must love man. How God must love man. And if he made his son sin. You, do you know what? Some people say that the penalty for sin is annihilation. Did you ever hear that? Once you die, you're annihilated. You, you cease to exist. Well, if this is true, 
and Jesus was annihilated at the time of his death, may I ask who, who was raised from the dead? Who rose up from the grave? There's no such thing as annihilation. See, there was no other way to do this thing, beloved. If God did this, it shows that man has no case against God. His, li- his lips are sealed throughout eternity. And that makes him the, the rightful judge of the great white throne judgment. And when a man stands before him, he says, How can you be just in sending me to a place like that? And Jesus stands there and says, I went there for you. And it shuts his mouth forever. It shuts his mouth forever. He cannot accuse God of being unjust. Because if God went there for man, so that man did not go there, God would be unjust not to send man there to his son. And may I say this to you? If God could save one person apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, one person, well, if he could save one apart from him, he could save anybody apart from him. But if he could do that, if he could save somebody without Jesus Christ, then his sending his holy, immaculate son to hell is the grossest, most hideous sin in all the universe. And it makes Adam's sin look like child's play. If God could do that, if he could save one man apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, then his sending Jesus Christ to the prison house of suffering is one of the, it's the worst sin known to the human world, committed by the Father himself. He cannot save a man apart from Christ. There is no salvation in any other name. He's the only name. I want to show you that the Father not only gave birth to us, out of his womb. But in Isaiah, here's the prophecy of his caring for his children. Look at verse 1 and 2. Or, yeah. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Down to verse 6. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring the birth and not cause to bring forth? Now listen, in this third phase, we see Jesus saying, My hour has come. It's time to give birth to man. man. Man, again, was not born of God from the beginning. He was not born of God through the Old Testament. He was not born of God as of yet, when Jesus spoke to them. But now he says, Shall I bring the forth? This is the hour for which I have come. Shall I bring the birth, but not bring forth? Is all this for nothing? And he goes on to say, Saith the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her, that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations, that ye may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck, ye shall be born upon her sides, and be dandled upon her knees, as one whom his mother comforteth. So will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. This is God speaking. Listen to this scripture. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now listen. And as newborn babes desire the sincere milk, my brother and sister, the word is Jesus. He went into travail for you and me. He was there in the dark regions of the damned. He suffered the torments. That was the pain of birth, the travail of, of Adam's high treason. And there in the lowest pit of the damned, he suffered those awful torments, the wrath of God, the judgment of God upon mankind. 
And then God spoke down from heaven's glory and said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And he gave birth to him right there out of his own womb, out of his own spirit. He gave birth to him. He is a recreation, a new creation. He is, again, God manifesting himself in the life of his son. This day thou shalt be a son unto me, he said to his son. And he gave birth to his son right there. And then Jesus raised up the God-man once again, raised up from the dead. Walked over to the devil. He annihilated the devil. If anybody was annihilated, it was the devil. He stripped him of all the authority he took off of, of the human race out of Adam. And he ascended up on high. Now, this is the, the, the most beautiful picture right here. He ascends up on high. You can imagine. He comes up fresh from the grave and he says, all hell. What's he talking about? The joy. What joy? He gave birth. A child is born. He goes up to heaven's glory. The angels rejoice. There is joy. Why is there joy in the presence of the holy angels when one child is born? Go to a hospital room. You watch a mama and a dad when a baby comes along. There's joy in that room. Forget the pain and the travail and the sorrow. God took upon himself one moment out of history, one moment out of eternity to give birth to his own children. And when Jesus raised up from the dead and stood there in front of that throne, it was a pleasure for God the Father to accept the blood of of his son Jesus. And when he accepted that blood, it meant that he can give birth to more than one. The whole human race was acquitted. The whole human race was set free, justified legally, and the Father can come down and give birth. Be born again. Be born again. God giving birth to us. We are a new species that never walked upon the face of the earth. We are people that got God inside of us. Born of God. Now are we the sons of God. I will live in them. I'll dwell in them. I'll walk in them. I'll be their God. They shall be my people, saith the Lord. Oh, the third phase. The third phase. That's who we are. We could be fed the milk from our Father's breasts, as He says in His Word. That's exactly what He said. As a mother gives feed, feeds her child, we are born of God, children of God. I don't know about you. I'm seeing it in reality. No wonder we can receive this milk of the Word and grow up into Him in all things. No wonder we can grow to the full measure of the stature of Christ. No wonder we can be filled with all the fullness of God is because God has imparted to us His life. Man never possessed that life, only Jesus. I came to give you that life and more abundantly. The new birth, the new creation, my brother and sister, is born out of the womb of God. And John said, Now are we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. When we shall see Him, we shall be like unto Him as He is. Heirs of God, joint heirs, equal heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the new creation. That's the new creation. And this is the image in this chapter. We see an image here. We see a a mother giving food to her child and we see God actually putting us on His knees, comforting us to His bosom and feeding us with the milk of His Word and saying, grow up into Me in all things. The the mind, as I said, can't comprehend it. Can't grasp it. But it's a reality. Either we are what He says we are or this is a fairy tale. We are either born of God or we're just sinners that have been pardoned. Because there's no other way this could have happened. But God was willing to do it. Now you know why this speck of dust is so important? Because with inside this body, there was life. And that life, one day, would be birth of God. The birthing process would have never been this way, my brother and sister, had Adam not sinned. There would have been no pain in transfiguring us to children. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. 
And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.